Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. We're making our way through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And last Sunday, we looked at how the Apostle Paul was forced to defend himself against some accusations that people were making at Thessalonica about the Apostle Paul. Everywhere Paul goes, he always has to answer some accusations about him. He has to defend himself, his authority, his manner of life, constantly to every church that he goes to, but it's always after he leaves. Always after he leaves. Not while he's there so much, but after he leaves, there's always these conflicts, these accusations that come up. Now, are you guys familiar with the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh? Have you heard that terminology before? Put up your hand if you have. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Theologians all take, the, take a stab at trying to figure out what that was. Nobody's really sure what it is. It probably was some kind of illness he may have had. Some people say he was very nearsighted, and so he couldn't see very well, very far away. Uh, some people said he had a severe ophthalmological uh, infection, and he had an, an oozing kind of eye problem that caused his personal appearance to be kind of yucky because of this oozing sore he has around his eyes. But that's all speculation. Uh, Gene Edwards, in his book, Revolutionary Bible Study, he, he makes the... Uh, he gives the opinion that the thorn in the flesh was not a physical problem, but it was a person. It was a person. And that every time the Apostle Paul would go to a church, get a church, go to a city, get a church established, and then he would leave, that this person was kind of lurking on the edge. And as soon as Paul would leave, he would slide into that church and say, Hey, I'm here from Jerusalem, and I got the latest and greatest of theological understanding of the Scriptures. And that he would say, I hear you guys just had Paul here. Yeah, we just had Paul. He did a great job. Yeah, Paul's great in so many areas, but he's not altogether correct. And this person would sow critical thoughts into the minds of people. You guys know how that works, don't you? You guys probably engage in that sometimes because that's how we are. <laughs> you'll, you'll be talking to somebody and you'll, does anybody have a mortal enemy? We all have some mortal enemies. And let's say it's somebody you work with or see a lot. You know, and so you, got, so you go to your, your, your job, and one of your work buddies comes over, and uh, he's talking to you, and he says, man, I got a chance to work with, uh, I was trying to think of a name we don't have here in the church. Uh, I was working with Max. <laughs> Any Maxes here? Okay. I was working with Max. And man, he's just, he's just so good. He's so smart. He really knows so many things and just blah, 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 bragging on Max. But you don't like Max because you know the truth about Max. Max is a low-down, dirty, rotten dog. And so you'll say, yeah, Max, is, you'll say, yeah, Max, he's really something. But he's not really as great as he says he is. And you'll kind of chip away at that kind of thing to try to get that person who is your friend to not be that person's friend anymore. That's how people are. And I'm, I, w- I, w- I would be surprised if anybody here has never engaged in that kind of behavior. Of course, I myself never, ever do that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Thanks, John. <laughs> so this is, a, this is why Paul has to defend himself. 
is because somebody always seems to come around and make some accusations against him after he's gone, either about his character or his teaching, everywhere he goes. Now, this actually is part of God's purpose, which we talked about last week. It's because it's these problems that come up in the churches that cause Paul to write these letters to the churches, which are given by inspiration, which God has preserved for us. So we're able to benefit from these misunderstandings, from these accusations, because Paul writes these letters of clarification about these doctrines. Now, the Apostle Paul, in, he's very concerned for the Thessalonians. When, Paul, when Timothy returns from Thessalonica, he sent Timothy because he was worried about him. And then when Timothy comes back, he brings good news. Now, let's take a reading now from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we'll, let's start with chapter 2, verse 17, and read down through the end of the book, because that's our text for the day. Well, actually, actually, in the chapter, I'm sorry. Which chapter are we on? 2, 3. Believe it or not, we're going to do 2, 3, and part of 4. Is that okay? All in favor, be seated. Motion passes. There you go. 217. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? Before our Lord Jesus Christ is coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This, this is the most, these are striking words because the Apostle Paul is saying that these Thessalonian believers, the people to whom he has been ministering, he said, you are my source of joy. You are, remember last week, the last point of last week's message was the Thessalonians, their their, their belief, their faith, they give his ministry meaning because you can't be a pastor you can't be a preacher without people to preach to and to pastor. There's a syncretism between the minister and his congregation. And the Apostle Paul says, you people are a source of my joy. And he follows this theme all the way through chapter 3. Listen to it. Therefore, when we could no longer, we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, destined for afflictions. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason... When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul tells them, I've sent, this, I've sent Timothy to you because I was worried about you. I was worried about the effect that afflictions would have on you. Now this is an interesting thing to think about. Afflictions. Paul says, I warned you that afflictions are going to come. And I want to say to you, as your pastor and as you know, your friend, if you're, if you're a new Christian or seeking the Christian faith, I want you to know something, that being a Christian does not negate any afflictions or suffering you're going to have in your life. Being a Christian guarantees you're going to have afflictions in life. Because when you become a Christian, 
your life becomes very, very complicated. Because now, for the rest of your life, you have to live in a world that's anti-Christ while trying to be Christ in the world. And you are aware of spiritual realities that other people are not. Have you ever been to Walmart or some place where there's a lot of people and look at all those people and realize that every one of those people is a soul and their souls are going to go somewhere for eternity? Every one of them? Up at the school, getting one of those yellow school buses, there's just a bunch of kids in there and they are raising holy, you know what? Acting the fool, rocking the bus, fighting, writing graffiti on the seats. It's just a, it's a glorious thing to behold. And look at all those little rugrats and realize they're all going somewhere. All going somewhere. Now the unconverted people, people who are not Christians, do you think they ever look at the masses of humanity and think about that? No, they don't. Because they're unaware of it. But Christians, we are aware of things that other people are not. We have an intuition. We have an an illumination that other people do not possess. So being a Christian means you're going to have afflictions. Paul writes about this. Now, afflictions within Christendom do two things. The first thing afflictions do, this is what Paul seems to be worried about, is that afflictions winnow the wheat. They winnow the wheat. An old preacher that I heard when I was a kid, he used to say this about being a pastor. Is the best time to count your converts is five years later, after the evangelistic crusade, after a lot of people have made a profession of faith, later. Because sometimes people believe for a little while or they seem to believe, or they have just intellectual belief, and then they depart. This is something that Jesus our Lord taught. Now take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter number 4, and listen to what Jesus talks about here. Listen to this description he gives us of this kind of, of thing, of this winnowing, of this separating of peoples. We're not going to take the time to read verses, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, But that's the parable of the sower. And if you're a fan of John MacArthur, you may want to write in your Bible there, parable of the soils, parable of the soils. And um, I think that's probably the the better title. But he said his disciples, when they're alone, in verse 10, the disciples, they ask him about this parable. And he says, to you, this is verse 11, 411, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, this is is, is, is a sobering thing to think about. Is that there is truth that is hidden from people according to God's purpose. According to God's purpose. I think this has a couple interesting implications. One of them is that on every Sunday, you have all kinds of different Christians here in the church, right? There's all kinds of different Christians. If you're here and you're a Christian and you've been saved for, you know, less than 10 years, say amen. We have to get some more people saved. <laughs> if you're here and you've been a Christian more than 10 years, say amen. That's, every, that's a lot of people. 
You have people at different levels, different levels of their faith. And they can't really bear everything. They can't bear everything. Now, how many of you guys would mind if I preached a sermon on tithing right now? <laughs> Few people would. But a lot of the people who already give and already committed to giving to the church, they, wouldn't, they, don't, they don't mind at all. It's good. They know it's a blessing to be a giver. But new Christians, they can't really bear everything. Have you noticed that when you go to school, all the classes are age-specific? The history you learn in first grade is not the same history you learn in 12th grade. A little more depth, a little more complex, a little more gray mixed into it. You can't, people don't, this is how God works. He doesn't tell everything plainly all at once. And this is what, that's an implication, I think, of this passage. But Jesus goes on to, the, to explain the parable of the soils to the disciples. Listen to what he says. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulations or persecutions arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are sown among the thorns, and they are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who bear the word, hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, and a hundredfold. Now this teaching of Christ is telling us that in the public ministry of preaching the word, there are going to be people who do not hear the word because Satan comes and ruins it from their minds. And then there are those who receive the word and they're like, yes, I need some good news. I need Jesus. But there's no root. They don't last. Now it's my, it's my, it's my, um, it's my position that these, this parable is telling us the only one group of people here is really converted, and that's the last group, people who bear fruit. And you'll notice that it's interesting, it's not all the same amount of fruit, there's 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, is that there are some people who are really bear a lot of fruit and are very, very, uh, I guess, profitable Christians, and others who are super profitable Christians. Like if you put it in the, in, in the realm of pastors, I would say, I'm a 30-fold guy, Jack Graham... Or Ed Young Sr. in Texas, those are 60 and 100 fold guys. How many of you guys know who Jack Graham is? Anybody? Ed Young Sr.? I'll choose somebody at different. Charles Stanley is a 60 fold guy, right? And John Gill is a 100 fold guy. <laughs> you ever heard of John Gill either, probably? And the only way that this, these are made evident is through this winnowing, is through affliction. Affliction. Afflictions. Afflictions winnow the wheat. John talked about Jesus doing this in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. The apostle John, in his letter to the people at Ephesus, probably 
In 1 John 2, 18 through 19, he talks about people not continuing with them. They depart from the faith. This winning of persecution is throughout the scriptures. Even Jesus our Lord faces this in his ministry in John chapter 6. When Jesus, he feeds the 5,000, he walks on water, he feeds the 5,000. Then he gives the, the teaching where he says, you have to eat my body and drink my blood where you can't have eternal life. And John chapter 6, verse number 66, it says, And many walked no more with him after that day. There was a, a winnowing. Affliction winnows the wheat. Now, we just came through this, this pandemic thing, didn't we? And it looks to me like many people, many people, use the opportunity of the, glow of the pandemic just to quit going to church altogether. An easy exit ramp out of Christianity and out of the church. Now, not all Christians left the churches, but some did. Affliction pushes people out. Now look, if, you, if you're not really a Christian, and you go to a church where the gospel is preached, and you're not a Christian, how is that good news going to make you feel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? How are calls to Christian commitment and holy living going to make you feel Sunday after Sunday? Well, I'll tell you how it made me feel when I was an unsaved person who was forced to go to church every single week by my wicked father and my barbarous mother and my evil little brother. I had to go every Sunday. My dad's a pastor. I had to go every Sunday. I had to sit on the front row. And I can remember being there as when I was a teenager. And I, I just hated it. I'd, my dad would say, get ready for church on Sunday mornings. I'd just be like, oh. I couldn't find anything. I, I hated going to church. And if my dad had given me a choice, you know what I'd have done? I would have went fishing. Or hunting. Or scraped myself with barbed wire. That's how much I did not want to go to church. But when I became a Christian, when I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of me. My attitude towards church got different. It was changed. It was like a light was thrown on. It was like I became a new person. Because I had become a new person. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So this, this winnowing takes place. And Paul was worried about the Thessalonians. That the persecutions they were facing for being Christians, because in chapter 2, he says, you guys have been suffering at the hands of your own people because you've chosen to follow Jesus. And Paul wonders if their affliction is going to prove that none of them are really true believers. So that's one thing that afflictions do. A second thing that afflictions do is afflictions produce strong Christians. Afflictions produce strong Christians. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about this. Look at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen, listen to how Paul describes his own sufferings as he talks about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. You cannot know comfort 
unless you know affliction. You can't know the magical healing properties of mother's kiss on your boo-boo unless you've got a boo-boo. You can't know the thrill of the embrace of a loved one who says it's going to be okay, you're going to make it until you feel like you can't make it. You can't know comfort unless you have affliction. Just like you can't enjoy summer, really, unless you live in Michigan. (laughs) I cannot believe how intoxicated I get. I don't want to do, I, I want to fish and fish and in the summer. I spend all winter long, you know, whining and griping and belly aching about the snow because, you know, there's nothing I want to do out there. I mean, there's nothing. I don't want to ice fish. I don't want to ski. I don't want to go snowmobiling. I just want to stay in the house and get fat. But man, this sun, when summer comes, holy mackerel. I'm finding every chance I can to go throw a line in some water. Trying to put my little kayak in in the water and get out there and just just soak it up, you know? Intoxicated by it. You You can't know God's comfort without affliction. And so affliction comes into our lives to help us to love God, to know God, and to have a a deeper fellowship with Him. The Apostle Paul says this affliction shows you God's comfort. And then Paul says when you go through your afflictions, it helps you to be able to comfort other people in their afflictions. Now Valerie and I, we've been been married for a long time, and we've gone through some stuff together. We've gone through some heartbreaks, some disappointments. And, you know... um, It is going through those dark times where we've come to know God in a deeper, more intimate way and learn that we can trust Him. To trust Him. You have to learn to trust God. And the only way we can learn to do that is in afflictions. Now, when we first got married, we were were poor. We were flat broke, and that ain't no joke. You know what I'm saying? We were broke. And I can remember writing our tithe check and thinking, Jesus, how are we going to eat this week? How are we going to keep it going? And then have all our needs met by trusting in the Lord. But you know what? If you're always writing a tithe check out of your surplus, that's eh, easy. It doesn't cost you anything. But when you're writing it out of your lack, sacrificially giving, it's different. And you learn you can trust God. You can trust God. There are people in this room right now who are in the midst of incredible difficulties with their health. And they're trusting God day by day. They're leaning upon him and they're experiencing from him not healing, but incredible comfort. Incredible affection from on high. This is what afflictions do. They make us strong Christians and help us be able to comfort others because of things Valerie and I have been through I've been able to sit in my office and share with people how God got me through and I just tell them if God got me through I know he can get you through too the voice of experience when I was a kid my dad would take us out hunting or fishing and my dad 
we come to a, a, a place where you had to jump across a creek or, or get across a little stream, and, and Dad, he would leap across. And I would say, he'd say, come on. I said, I, I can't do it, Dad. I, I can't do it. He said, come on, you can do it. I said, no, I, I can't. He said, I'll help you, but you got to jump. You got to jump. And I watched my little brother run over there and do a halfway jump and land in the creek because he didn't have any sense anyway. <laughs> but I knew my dad was a strong dude. And I would jump just like, thunk. Right in his hands, I learned I could trust my dad. I'd known him my whole life. <laughs> That's what afflictions do. They winnow and they grow strong Christians. This is what Paul is saying. I warned you about these afflictions, that they are going to come. They're going to come. Now, when Timothy came back from visiting Thessalonica, Timothy comes back and he says to Paul, Paul, these people, they are are, solid. They're committed. They love Jesus. They're committed to the gospel. They're doing what they ought to be doing. They're doing the right things as far as their religious affections. Now listen to how Paul talks about this. Look at chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. But now, he says, Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you have always remembered us kindly and that you long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. Now listen to to this change of tone. Listen to how Paul talks about them and how they affect him. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul is saying, I am sustained. I am kept going by your faith. Because I can look over and see how God is working in you. And it strengthens me to see how God has used me in his purpose in this world. You make my life glorious. This is that same theme of how Paul, how their faithfulness gives Paul's ministry meaning. There's a syncretism here. Especially notice verse number 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And he continues on. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now here's Paul's prayer for them. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another And for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul is praying for them. Now notice, he says something here to them, which is striking. He's concerned about their holiness. Now he's going to go into chapter 4. And those of you who've been in management, you may have experienced this, where if you're going to give somebody a review, what do you start with, the negative or the positive? Always start with the positive. And then if there's anything negative, you bring it up. 
And you are careful how you say that. You, you phrase it in the right thing so it's not combative or caustic. You want to say it just right. And this is what Paul has done. All the way through here, Paul is thrilled with them. He's pleased with them. Their overall commitment to Christ is magnificent to him. But when Timothy came back, Timothy said, Paul, they do have a few problems over there. They do have a few problems. And he gets into his admonitions. And that's almost the whole rest of the book. Admonitions, admonishments, gentle beggings and pleadings. And we only have time to talk about one of them. And that's in verses 1 to 8. And they have sex problems in the church. You say, well, I thought it was a good church. I thought it's a model church. It is. Well, they got problems. Every church has problems. Now, if you look to your left and then look to your right, what you're going to see are sinners. That's all you see are sinners. Everyone here is a sinner. And even if they're a Christian, they are just, Luther said it like this, they are just but still a sinner. Just but still a sinner. So, you and I, as Christians, as we are still sin, we struggle with our sins. Now, everybody has different struggles with sins, right? Everybody has different struggles. Different, different besetting sins or different temptations. Now, how many of you could be tempted with a fly rod left in the back of somebody's truck? Anybody be tempted with that? Now, I know somebody has been tempted with it because I lost a very nice fly rod that way <laughs> in Arkansas. And every county in Arkansas is majority Baptist, so I know it was a Baptist that stole it. <laughs> I've suffered many th- evils at the hands of Baptists in my life. Everybody has different levels of temptation. What tempts you may not tempt me. Now, you've, you've heard this old adage, one man's trash is another man's what? Treasure. So I'm sure some of you guys, you go by a yard sale, and you see piles of gold and treasure. Other people go by, and they don't see anything but trash. There was a guy in our church in Oklahoma. He was such a yard sale hound. He was driving down the road, and he saw a bunch of stuff in this guy's yard, and he stopped. And he leaped out, and he's out there looking around and checking it all out. And the guy comes out and says, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking around. He says, why? He said, isn't this a yard sale? No. (laughs) He said, that's when I thought, well, that's why there's no prices on anything. (laughs) There is always sin around a church. There's always sin of some kind. All the letters of Paul to the churches deal with different kinds of sins because there's always sins around the church. There's always sins in the church. We just don't know what they are all the time. Now let's just pause for a minute and say, aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that you don't know all the sins that are present in your church? Let me change it. Aren't you glad that all of your sins are not known by the people in your church? (laughs) Of course. But there must have, there's a problem with sexual sins in the church at Thessalonica. Listen to what Paul says. 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask 
and urge you. Now this, this is the admonition word. This is this asking. I'm pleading with you and I'm urging you in the Lord Jesus that as you recede from us, how you ought to walk in the place of God. So Paul says, Avar, I told you this when I was there before. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, that you continue to make progress in my, following my teachings. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. Paul is saying, you guys need to quit having sex with people to whom you are not married. Sexual immorality, knock it off. Now, Paul's not, he's not overly condemning here because in the Gentile world, especially in that time in history, sex was more casual than you can think. The worship in the pagan temples almost always included sexual relations with temple prostitutes, either men or women. Pederasty. Child sex slaves in the Gentile world were normal. It's hard for us to fathom that it could be accepted and normal because we don't really understand how deeply Christianity has impacted the world. The only reason anybody gives a hoot about child sex trafficking is because of Christian morality and a Christian worldview. That's the only reason. Because if you go to places where there is no Christianity, you know what you find? In cultures where there's no Christianity, you know what you find? You find all that yucky stuff. All of it. And Paul tells them, you guys need to possess your bodies in honor. Your physical body. Because being a Christian is not just a spiritual thing. It involves your whole self. Your whole self has been saved. Your body has been redeemed. You say, well, what does that mean? You belong to Christ, lock, stock, and barrel. You belong to Christ, body, soul, and spirit. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 6. He says, do you not know that you are not your own, but you're bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your bodies, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. For do you not know that he that joins himself to a harlot is making himself one flesh with her? He says, your body and what you do with it matters. We're not just spiritual people. We're physical people too. And Jesus wants us to honor him with our hearts, with our souls, and with our bodies too. And Paul tells us Thessalonians, Thessalonians, Possess your body in an honorable way, in a way that pleases God. Not in a way that the world accepts. Because what the world accepts, (laughs) well, they'll accept anything, won't they? Anything's okay with them. 
but we should possess our bodies in honor. And he talks, he mentions a word here, our passions. Not being ruled by our passions, like fishing. Which is hard, isn't it? But that's a passion we, nobody really cares about, right? Does the church care if I fish 24-7? <laughs> nobody said anything, so <laughs> I take that as silence as consent. <laughs> Your passions can get you can get you can get can get you carried away. Not in the passion of lust. Now this word lust is an interesting word. It's 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 super strong desire. And you can desire the right things as well as desire the wrong things, right? You can desire to go to church, you can desire to read your Bible, you can desire to pray, you can, you can desire to be generous. There's things you can desire that are good, and there's things you can desire that are bad. And you're going to spend a lot of your life trying to give in, give in to the good desires and not do the bad desires. Now, since we moved here to Michigan, I think I gained 20 pounds since I moved here. That's because the winters are long and the cookies are abundant. <laughs> so, you know, in Oklahoma, it was, it was hotter and it was, I, did, I, had, I had different things I did every day. There was a why. I, I don't want to talk about that. I did different. I was, I was, I was way more active in the first part of the day than I am here because, you know, anyway, in a year-round sense. So, when you think about losing weight, I need to trim it down, right? I got I to gotta slim it down. Now, basically, my problem is eating. I am what you call a grazer. I go in the kitchen. Valerie's cooking supper when I get home. I go in the kitchen, and she's cooking supper, and she's got some meat browning in the skillet. Got to test it. When she turns her back, get a spoon. If she's boiling pasta, you know, when she turns her back, get some pasta stick in your mouth. Go with the fridge. I got, I got this jar of peanuts in the, fridge, in, the, in, the, in the pantry, and I guess I drop them on the floor a lot because... A while back, Valerie said, have you noticed there haven't been any peanuts around? I said, yeah. She said, that's because I'm tired of finding them on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) But thank the Lord the peanuts have returned. But I'll go to the pantry and open that pantry up, and there'll be be my little peanut bucket, you know. Reach my hand in there. (laughs) At Vacation Bible School, Mrs. Parker told us that Peanuts are vegetables. So I've been eating vegetables like crazy, you know. Well, I'll have a handful of peanuts, you know, and I'll stay there and talk to her for a little bit. You know, I'm kind of ADD sometimes, and, and I'll, go, I'll go get another handful. And then while I'm standing in the kitchen talking to her, I'll eat five or six handfuls of peanuts. Then I'll say, well, i got to quit eating these stupid peanuts. I'll walk down towards our bedroom. There's another pantry down there. I'll open that up, and there's Pop-Tarts. Nutty bars, Rice Krispie treats, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you know, I have one of these, you know. I won't eat too much at supper. Then supper, makes, she makes one of her magnificent meals, you know. and Got to eat two helpings. That way she knows I like it. <laughs> Do it for her. <laughs> and you just find yourself just feasting on appetites. 
You drive into Sheboygan, your ride you come into Sheboygan, you're met with the Golden Arches. Home of the greatest French fries in the universe. And the best coffee in town, in my opinion. For the price. If you come into town, and just you, you see how it goes? The passions, they can just overtake you. And then you think, well, I gotta do something about this. I gotta get up tomorrow morning, I gotta do some uh, the, 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 the greatest exercise in the world, I've got to do some burpees in the morning. got to get up and knock some of those suckers out. And so you, you get up in the morning, I'm going to do some burpees. But you don't do that. You're like, ah, you know, I need some energy to do some burpees. <laughs> got to have some peanuts. <laughs> and you find yourself just being ruled by your passions. And that's just about food. But there's all kinds of passions we can have. All kinds of appetites that can be awakened. And my friends, listen, you have to be careful about what appetites you awaken. you got to be careful. Because once an appetite is awakened, it's hard to turn it off. We went to the sweet spot last Saturday in Mackinac City. And that uh, little ice cream place, the sweet spot, they had this stuff, this ice cream called Rush Hour in there. Now I'm a Baptist, right? So I don't drink, I don't smoke, but I eat. <laughs> so... This stuff called rush hour ice cream, oh, it's like crack cocaine. That's what I heard. heard. (laughs) And just, you can just be overcome by stuff. And then, you know, I'm not talking about any of the other sinful passions that I may have because I'm embarrassed. I mean, I'm not going to tell you every, everything that goes through my mind, every inclination I have. I'm not going to tell you. I'll never tell you. I barely want to confess it to God. You know what I'm saying? We have these, these sins are there, these passions. And these passions can control us. And Paul tells the Thessalonians not to let these passions govern your life. Don't let them govern your life. He's not saying that the passions are nullified or stupefied. He's saying you cannot let them rule your life. Now he mentions something here. He says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the sins that they're committing are not just bad for them, they're bad for others too. They're bad for others too. And sometimes in carrying out our sins, it causes us to take advantage of other people. Or we lead other people into sins because they're watching how we behave. We have to be cautious. Paul tells them to possess your vessel, to possess your body in holiness. It's not just your, your soul belongs to Christ, but your whole body belongs to Christ. This is an admonition. He tells them, I love you, and I don't want you to give in to these things. Let's look at 4 verse 7. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man. Paul says, if you choose not to listen to me, you're not disregarding my opinions, but God who has given the Holy Spirit to you. Now, this is one of the things that always convicts me big time when I think about it. And I don't think about it enough. Is that every sin that I do, I take the Holy Spirit into that sin with me. Come here, Matt. Will you help me out? 
This is my, this is my son, Matt. He's, he's, he's our youngest son. Now, Matt, uh, look at this kid. He's going to be beating me down pretty soon. Now, when Matt was little, he kind of looked like a, he always seemed kind of angelic to me. He kind of had an, an innocence that I was envious of, to be honest with you. Because don't you wish you could go back to being a kid and being clean and pure and have no idea about sinful appetite? Just want to go back to being nine years old with your BB gun and a slingshot, you know, on a bike. And it just sometimes. And so, so, but think about Matt. Picture Matt as younger, <laughs> as being nine or ten. And let's say he's the Holy Spirit. And everywhere I go, I take him with me. Every time I do a sin, he's got to stand there and watch it. How would that be for your kid? Do you think that affects children positively? It grieves them. Think about the Holy Spirit, who is God, who is altogether holy, altogether lovely, altogether pure, and he lives inside of you through God's grace and mercy. And when you go and do sins, you take the Holy Spirit with you. You can be seated, Matt. And the Bible says that you and I, we can grieve the Holy Spirit and we can quench the Holy Spirit by the things that we do. So we've got to be thoughtful about what we get ourselves into. When I think about all the things I've exposed the Holy Spirit to, man, it breaks my heart and drives me to repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. Because everything that we do is beheld by the Father. Proverbs 15, 13, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. But God's not watching us like a vicious taskmaster, taskmaster who's going to knock you out of his kingdom when you fall off the wagon. He doesn't do that. He's so merciful and gracious to us. I mean, every day I'm knocked down by God's mercy. I'm trying to read through Jeremiah right now and think of myself as being the people of Israel and how God talks to them. And <laughs> I'm about ready to stop. Because if I think of myself as being Israel, they were really bad. And I catch myself thinking, wow, I'll never be as bad as them. But I'm just as bad as they are over and over again. God's mercy, though, is so deep. So deep. His mercy is more than we can comprehend. Now, just in conclusion, if you're in hard times, some of the hard times they will pass. But if you seek the Lord in his word during the hard times, you're going to find you'll be much better for the experience. It is only in the valley of sorrows that the scriptures are properly illuminated sometimes. Let me say it like this. Sometimes you can only see the Bible clearly when you're in the darkness of life. Does that make sense to you what I'm trying to say? The last thing I want to say to you is that Sexual sins. Sex period can make you very happy. And it can make you miserable at the same time. God has told us in his word, marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled for those who are married. And we have to say it in our culture, don't we make it very clear. That's a man who was born a man, always been a man. Married to a woman who's born a woman, has always been a woman. That's a marriage. The sex that takes place in that marriage is honorable, sanctified, holy, and there's no shame there. 
any other kind of sexual activity is sinful. And if you've been committing any other kind of sexual activity, you should just you should stop. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Knock it off. We're not trying to beat you up for your past or things you get into. But it's a sin that's not doing you any good. It's harming you and harming others. Stop. Stop. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. and I pray that you would find good ground in the hearts of these, my friends and brothers and sisters. I pray that you would help us. Help us to look at our afflictions, Lord, with a better, a better set of lenses to see how you're working in our life, making us, making us stronger, sometimes purifying us. And Lord, I ask you to help us to possess our bodies, our vessels in honor. Deliver us from sexual sins. And they start right inside our mind before they ever come out in the flesh. And I pray that you deliver us from them. Protect us, Lord, we pray. Jesus said in the model prayer, deliver us from evil. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen.